The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Thank you to Kim Reynolds for allowing us to play that bump. She's a couple of minutes behind her press conference today, so we were able to get that in. Thank you to NCMIC for making Restaurant Radio possible, and Jessica with the Iowa Restaurant Association. We will uh, reschedule Lee on Tuesday. I want to share more of that story, and I want you to share more of the story uh, with our audience. Coming up here, we will hear from Kim Reynolds. As soon as she starts, we will uh, get you there for the beginning of her press conference. We'll carry it until about 11.25, as we do uh, each and every day until the uh, press conferences go away, which, of course, we're all hoping is sooner rather than later. Uh, We're going to talk some NFL draft. Coming up, uh, we have not uh, talked about the Vikings or the Chiefs. We'll get to the Bears with Jeff Hughes, the Bears blog tomorrow, but the Bears will take the day off. And uh, we will hear from Ted Glover on the Vikings at about 11.30ish. And then... Nick Athen, about 11.45 on the Chiefs. So one uh, newsy item we didn't get to yesterday, and it's still percolating, is Major League Baseball, their decision, and what's happening in the minor leagues. Now, this is not going to, well, well we, will, we will get to this. We'll, we'll save point. it, because yes. I do want to talk about it. Uh, it sounds like they're still working on things. Here's the governor of the state of Iowa, Kim Reynolds. Well, good morning. For several weeks, I've started my press conferences with an update on the numbers. And today, I would like to provide a different perspective on the current status. Today, we have 176 new positive cases in Iowa for a total of 3,942 positive cases. And we have 842 new negative cases for a total of 25,338 negative cases. Of the 29,262 Iowans who have been tested for COVID-19, 13% have tested positive, compared to a national rate of 18.4% as reported by the CDC. As of yesterday, 77% of all positive cases were among adults age 18 to 40 and middle-aged adults from 41 to 60. 22% were older and elderly adults from 61 to over 80 years of age, and 1% were children under the age of 18. Also, among all Iowans with COVID-19, 10% are staff and residents of long-term care facilities, 16% are healthcare workers, and 29% work in manufacturing facilities. Today, we had no new counties, so our county count stands at 84 counties. As of yesterday, 11 of Iowa's 99 counties accounted for 81% of all COVID-19 cases. Five counties alone had 52% of the state's positives, and 51 counties had zero to four cases each. 1,492 Iowans were diagnosed with COVID-19 and that have recovered for a recovery rate of 38%. 
Today, the Department of Public Health has, a, uh, has confirmed that we do have one additional long-term care facility outbreak in its Manor Care Health Services in Lynn County, bringing the total uh, uh, to 12 long-term care facility outbreaks. Of the positive cases of long-term care facility residents to date, we have had 65 that have recovered, 84 remain ill, and 24 are currently hospitalized. I also um, sadly report that we do have six additional deaths for a total of 96 Iowans who have lost their lives to this horrible virus. As of yesterday, 85% of all deaths are among older and elderly adults. Again, 51% were residents of long-term care facilities. 12% were middle-aged adults, 41 to 60. And 2% were adults ages 18 to 40. Since Iowa's first COVID-19 cases were confirmed, the Department of Public Health has been collecting data through diagnostic testing and contact tracing that allows Iowans allows us to better understand the virus and its impact on Iowans across the state and to help us mitigate it. And now with increased tracing cap capabilities, we'll be able to target areas of concern early with the intent, again, of minimizing the impact of the virus among vulnerable populations and essential workforce. And the data also helps us identify areas of opportunity. Just as we use data to drive decisions uh, when we close schools and businesses to target our efforts on slowing the virus, we also use it, we'll also use it to reopen the state in a measured and responsible way while continuing to manage virus activity going forward. We must get Iowa back to work sooner rather than later, and the more we continue to learn about the virus in Iowa, the better we'll be able to balance the health of our people and our economy. As you're hearing at the national level, public health experts are recommending that states increase levels of testing and contact tracing as they prepare to reopen business. Fortunately, our experts at the Department of Public Health have, taking that, have taken that approach all along. And that's why we went ahead and pursued a public-private pa partnership to launch, the Test Iowa, to launch Test Iowa and significantly increase our testing capacities across the state. When we scale up to full capacity, as I said yesterday, we'll be able to test an additional 3,000 Iowans per day, and that's on top of what we're already doing. And not only will that help us fight the spread of the virus, it will inform, as I said, economic decisions that will get Iowans back to work and life back, back to normal. In, in just two days since the launch of Test Iowa, we've had over 121,000 Iowans who have completed an assessment, and that is a big component of this process. And testing, appoint, uh, and, uh, testing appointments for this weekend are full. This overwhelming response tells, that, tells me that Iowans are ready to take the next step to move our state forward and be part of the solution, as they have all along, and that's why we're having the conversations that we're having now. We know that many more Iowans qualify for the testing than there are available available appointments at this time so please know that you know we're, we're not up to a capacity yet but after the site is up and running this weekend we will be able to quickly ramp up and get more Iowans scheduled and more tests completed so it's kind of a soft lunch this weekend but we're going to be prepared and working on next week and how we start to um, operationalize what we currently are doing we've also heard from Iowans who had questions about the assessment process and I thought it'd be helpful if I shared a few of those questions with you today. So if you've had trouble filling out your height and weight, you weren't alone. 
It's been, in fact, me too. It's been one of the most frequently asked questions, and here are some tips. Calculate your height in inches and enter only the number. Also, enter the number only for your weight. No words, no letters, no symbols should be entered for either. Others who qualify for a test asked when they would be notified to schedule an appointment. And due to the incredible response of Iowans, we're looking at setting up temporary testing sites to accommodate everyone who has already qualified so that you can get tested as soon as possible. And as I just said a moment ago, we'll be really operationalizing that next week. So we appreciate your patience while we work to meet your needs. An email will be coming soon with more information about how to schedule your appointment. And finally, for those who don't have internet access to take the online assessment, we recommend asking a family member or trusted friend with a computer, tablet, or smartphone to help you. If you qualify for testing, you will need to schedule your appointment online and your QR code for check-in and your test results will all be sent to you, um, will be sent to you by email as well. So online access is necessary for this process, so again, please ask someone you trust to help. If you haven't taken uh, the Test Iowa assessment yet, please go to testiowa.com. It takes only a minute, and your information will help us fight the virus and bring Iowa back. And finally today, I'd like to end with some good news. The U.S. Treasury has finally provided guidance on how to utilize funding through the CARES Act. And we're still reviewing the data, but it is clear that uh, we can use it, for, use it to further fund our small business grant relief program through um, the Iowa Economic Development Authority. And I've asked Debbie Durham to begin uh, funding the backlog immediately and looking at new opportunities to utilize some of the funding so that we can help some of that bridge financing to our small businesses across this state that have been impacted by the COVID uh, virus. So between the PPP, uh, per Paycheck Protection Program, through the CARES Act and through what uh, Iowa Economic Development Authority has been able to do with the small grants and then with some guidelines that we have now, we'll be continuing to work through that and see where else we can be helpful to Iowa's small businesses and families that are hurting because of the COVID uh, virus. So the past, you know, several weeks have been difficult ones. Our lives have been disrupted and many Iowa families are struggling, but better days are ahead and I believe those days are coming. So life um, might not return back to normal exactly as we knew it. It might be a little bit of a new normal for a while, but that's okay. The COVID-19 pandemic has taught us all a few things about ourselves, and maybe one of the greatest lessons has been a reminder of what really matters and for myself there are a few things that I can't wait to get back to uh, hugging my grandchildren would be one of them and getting together with family but there's also a lot of things that we're going to have to do differently going forward so I'm sure we're going to all continue to learn and adapt the way that we do things um, but that can also be a good thing as well so hang in there uh, with me we've still got work to do uh, but I trust in the spirit and I trust in the resiliency and just the determination of Iowans. And I know, as I've said almost every day, that we're going to get through this together. So with that, we'll open it up for questions. Do we have a, a information yet about the modeling of where we're headed with this? I mean, we have seen increases in deaths and increases uh, in cases. Do we get any indication as to where we're yeah. going from here? Thank you. 
Yes, so thank you for the question. We continue to work by looking at a variety of publicly available data sources, working with our federal partners with the CDC, and working with our state partners here in Iowa to better understand what's happening nationally, as well as how to incorporate what we're learning here in Iowa to help inform those things. And when we talk about modeling, again, I think it's important to keep in mind that um, it's a helpful tool, but it can change depending on um, personal actions and what we all do to help limit the spread of the virus. And I think what's also helpful are as we get additional information about what's going on here in Iowa through assessments and through the information we're getting from our local public health and clinical partners, all of that together helps us better understand the resources that we need to leverage and target in specific areas here in Iowa to help protect uh, the health and safety of Iowans and get everybody back to normal. But do we have these numbers as, as far as where we're headed from here? I mean, do we have modeling that gives us a future uh, look at where we're going? We're still working on putting together some Iowa-specific numbers, and when we have that, we'll be making it available. But that's why, again, this will be really helpful, because while well, Iowans go online and take the assessment, it gives us a good idea of where some of the hot spots might be, where we might see some of clustering. We've seen that happening in some of our processing plants and some of our manufacturing facilities. And so that allows us to really go in and target and then identify, you know, who's positive, who's not, what is the scope of the outbreak, how can we isolate and how can we start to make sure that we keep these facilities and businesses and manufacturers up and running, but but uh, not only maybe reduce some of the capacity, but get them back to full capacity sooner rather than later. So it really, all of the information that we're gathering, so again, thank you, Iowans, for going on to testiowa.com and taking the assessment. It, it really is going to be just an additional tool to what we've been, what the Department of Public Health and their team have been, and the, have been doing on a daily basis. But that's going to help drive some of the metrics that we use and will continue to use as we move forward. So as we start to open things back up in a responsible and safe manner, we will be able to, you know, through the assessment, kind of watch and calculate through the state, you know, how that's working, if we're seeing anything flare up and, and go right in early and and kind of start doing some of that contact tracing and try to get to uh, the bottom of what's happening. Governor, since we're a week away from the April 30th deadline for one of your emergency declarations, especially as it uh, concerns businesses, can you help people know when you will make the decision about whether to extend that or lift part of it, however you're going to handle it? Yeah. And then secondarily, you've talked about we may, you may look at reopening things based regionally. Yeah. Um, the Iowa Restaurant Association was talking about they're concerned about that just in the sense that, let's say you pick Okoboji or something where they don't have a lot of cases. Since people are so pent up right now and wanting to go do stuff, everybody yeah. may rush there instead yeah. of staying back home. Yeah. So they're wondering if it would be safer, if we, even if we had to wait longer, so you could just do everybody yeah. at once. I'm actually going to be on a call with them this afternoon, and I've, they've already sent me some of their recommendations and some of the things that they've looked at and how they can be a partner in talking about reopening uh, the restaurant industry and how we can do that again in a responsible manner, whether it's you know reduced capacity, uh, social distancing, some of the procedures 
procedures and policies that we can put in place to collectively work on that. So, you know, I also, and so we'll talk about that with them, but if we've got some hot spots, we probably need to really be mindful of what we're looking at. I believe that Iowans will continue to be responsible just like they have been. So even as we start to open back up the state and businesses, people still need to be responsible. They need to be practice social distancing. Uh, when we're starting to open up some of these businesses, we need that taking place in these businesses. And that's how we start to slowly and responsibly open back up the state. Um, but we also need to make sure that vulnerable Iowans, they know who they are. They should still be very mindful. They should still be staying home, especially if you have underlying conditions. Think about when you go out in public, you know, who you're going to have, you know, the number that you'll have access to, do the social distancing, maybe wear a face covering. So we will continue to, you know, you know, recommend that especially our vulnerable Iowans and those with underlying conditions continue to practice the mitigation steps that the department and I and everybody have been talking about for the last several, several weeks. Uh, and can you just say, do you have, can you tell them what oh. you think you'll decide? Well, so might have some news tomorrow, um, but we're still working on that. So, and then we'll have that goes through April 30th, and we're we're as Dr. Padotti and uh, Sarah has talked about, we're we're working on that right now, and looking at uh, different ways that we can approach that based on data and metrics that we have. And remember, I said you know you can look at it from a state perspective, we can look at it from a regional perspective, we can also look at it from a county perspective, community, and zip code. So we really are able to drill down in the data and, and just see what makes sense, where we feel um, comfortable in doing that, and then continue to watch that, and then we can maybe release it just a little bit more. But uh, um, Iowans are ready to get back to work. We know that we have to do it in a responsible manner. I mean, it is, it is physical, it is mental, and it is financial well-being, and all of that is a part of the picture. And so we need to work. We work. Think about our labor participation rate that we have here in Iowa. We are always have led the country when it comes to, you know, workforce in our state. And so that's our very nature. But we know that we have to do it in a safe and responsible manner. So we're balancing all of that as we move forward. And I'm confident that we can do that. Uh, Governor, I was wondering who's going to be staffing the NOMI testing sites, like where are the health workers coming from, and then you know, specifically the one in Des Moines that's opening Saturday, and then when, when can we expect the new sites to open, like next week? I can talk about next week if you'll talk about workforce. Sure, thank you. So we've been working to come up with a variety of partnerships, just as we always have, in approaching directing resources and making tools available to Iowans related to understanding and also testing around COVID-19. So we're working with area providers. We're working with the resources we have through public health um, and resources through the National Guard and taking all of those partnerships together to come up with what makes the most sense for locations and making sure that we're able to provide um, what's needed for Iowans at each of these various testing sites. So there's a lot of opportunity for us to partner with a lot of different organizations and even some of our hospitals and some of our clinics. And so we're really walking through that. And that's why, you know, this weekend has been, a, it's kind of a slow launch. So we'll be at the event center and there'll be uh, testing, scheduled test on Saturday and Sunday. And that'll really allow us to kind of walk through a lot of the logistics that we have in place. And then, but today we'll take that information and that we gain from the weekend and then we'll start scheduling uh, 
best fights next week. So we're even working on that today. So tomorrow I might have even a little bit more information about what that looks like and kind of how we ramp up and roll out um, the logistics of, of making this operational. But we have the capacity, you know, to be to set up in all different areas of the state. And so as we bring in the data and we see those that should be tested, we can kind of see where some of those pockets are at. And that's where it would make more sense for us to go in and set up the test site and really identify an area that we're concerned with. And maybe in some of the other areas of the state where it's a little bit lighter, then there's other ways that we can make sure that we, we can work with other local area providers and getting them tested and uh, kind of walk through it that way. But we'll, we'll be able to provide more details tomorrow. Okay, do you, do you know where the providers for Des Moines are coming from for this weekend? I should know that, but I'll get to you afterwards. So it's set up. It's already scheduled. So the Test Iowa, they do all of that. They provide all of the supplies and all the equipment and all of that, and then we bring in the workforce. So um, I assume it's local, but I, I maybe you know. I don't know for I sure. Know okay. We have, a, we have a variety of the resources okay. mentioned. And okay. Okay. Um, and then I was They've been scheduled, so I just don't know where they're coming from. So I don't want you to think they're not scheduled. I'm just not sure where. Um, I, I was also wondering, Minnesota announced it's partnered with the Mayo Clinic and yep. other local health providers. Um, I was just yep. curious to know if the state kind of pursued a partnership with some of the local Iowa health providers and, you know, why you went with Nomi, uh, a Utah-based company. Yeah. So, well, and they have a presence. Qualtrics, I mean, talked about the presence that they have here in Iowa. And we have a lot of partnerships and collaborations that's already taking place. So this is diagnostic testing. Um, it's kind of a, it has an Iowa touch, uh, is how I actually found out about it. I was talking to Ashton Kutcher on the phone about doing a PSA, and in the conversation, talking with him, he asked if I was familiar with what was happening with Test Utah and some of you know how it looked very promising and it looked like he you know other states should potentially take a look at that. He knew one of the individuals that had been working on that, on that was a friend of his or just a colleague and knew him. And so he said, if you'd like, I'd be happy to connect the two of you. And then uh, we connected in my team uh, and then, you know, started connecting with uh, Utah and the Utah chief of staff, as well as uh, the governor of Utah. And we were able to start that conversation and ramp it up relatively quickly. But um, Iowa is also working with Iowa State University and the University of Iowa on serology, serology testing. And so, so this is a different... Uh, uh, the diagnostic testing is one phase of it, but we're also working with our local universities on the serology testing as well. So there's some really exciting things that uh, that we've been working on, and I don't know if you want to add to that or even talk about some of the other things that we're working on. Thank you. You know, I think I would just add that, again, we recognize that we have a variety of resources and great partners here in Iowa, and so part of what we're doing, you know, not just with Test Iowa, but with our approach all along, has been working closely with and hearing from our local public health as well as clinical providers to help again come up with the resources that are available and the things that we have to help provide Iowans you know with the the best possible way to get them back to, to regular life so we do continue to hear about opportunities and continue to take advantage of opportunities to work with those kinds of um, you know other Iowa specific um, public health and clinical uh, resources and you know again it's it's part of what's so important about a response like this it's not a, a single entity it's not a 
single effort or a single individual. It really requires such collaboration um, at the local, state, um, and federal level across the board, these important partnerships, not just with the entities that I've mentioned, but with Iowans who have been you know, doing all of the things that we've been asking and continue to stay up to date and continue to do things like um, share information through the test Iowa assessment. Uh, good morning, Governor. Uh, you, you mentioned um, the guidance from the U.S. Treasury, and I wondered uh, how that would have, whether that money that the state has received, that $1.25 billion, whether any of that will be going to cities that are seeing their revenues dry up, sales taxes, hotel, motel receipts are down. Will, will they get some of that $1.25 billion? We just got the guidelines last night, so we'll be sitting down with the team and walking through. I mean, we already had some of the um, anticipated expenses that we've already um, that has already occurred that we assumed would be covered by the um, the the funding and based on what. Um, Mnuchin and the president and the vice president had indicated they were trying to give as much flexibility that they can. And so we'll sit down and work with the team today and just kind of take a look at what that looks like and how we can utilize the funding and really doing it in a very, you know, thoughtful and strategic manner. So we just got it last night. We'll sit down today and take a look at that. Right now, none of that money can be used to supplant the, the, the budget. So we'll just have to wade through some of the other details that we have and see how that works with some of our local governments. Beth, the KCRG, go ahead. Thank you so much. Good morning, Governor. I have a question about the Abbott test. Um, 15 of those machines uh, were dispersed across Iowa. I was curious how many of those machines are currently in use and what is their current run rate? How many tests are they able to, um, how many are they actually testing? How many people are they testing a day? Do you know? I don't know if I know the day, but. Thank you for the question. I don't know if I have for you the number of Abbott-specific tests that are done each day, um, but we do receive you know, those results. And the Abbott machines have been shared, um, and I think we've made that information available, and I think the State Hygienic Laboratory is also making that information available um, on their webpage as well. And those machines just represent, again, when we think about the big picture approach to a virus like this, it's another opportunity to find a way to bring resources to Iowans. And we want to continue to leverage every potential um, opportunity, every potential resource, um, and every potential partnership as we all work together to try and you know fight the spread of this virus. And the ABBA machines are, are a helpful resource. Um, they're not quite as high capacity because they're a point of care test, so they may be doing approximately four tests um, an hour. But they're another resource that's helpful. It's a resource that can be local. And again, we continue to do work with um, you know our state hygienic laboratory on the testing they provide. We work through resources resources like Test Iowa and all of our providers across the state who continue to work to take care of Iowans um, and help connect them to resources when they're ill. Kathy Obradovich, Iowa Capital Dispatch. Yeah, uh, thanks, Governor. Thanks for the background on how you found uh, Test Iowa. I had a couple more questions about that. Um, one, uh, can you tell us the name of the manufacturer of the tests that Iowa will be using? Whether they are FDA approved tests or what the status is of FDA approval of those tests. And uh, finally, just um, why wouldn't the state have contacted other potential vendors uh, for COVID testing program before entering this contract? Well, Thanks. first, 
Well, first of all, it is FDA approved, so thank you for the question. Um, and it is a collaborative effort that was put in place with Utah, uh, Nomi Health, Silicon Slopes, Qualtrics, and Domo, I think, are some of the players that were involved in that. And part of Utah's wor uh, role in that was to be a part of actually designing and developing. This hadn't been uh, even, it hadn't been developed before, so that was part of the connection that they had with that. And so as I learned about this, I mean, we are, testing has been been kind of an issue throughout the whole process and have we had been able to increase our testing but when I learned about the opportunity to have significant access to significant test and most importantly the assessment piece that was tied to it which is extremely beneficial as we start to open things back up and continue to manage the virus you know as we work through the summer and into the fall to continue to work with Iowans and uh, have them help be a part of our solution and, and monitoring the virus going forward, I was very intrigued with uh, the capability that it provided. And so I reached out to Gary Herbert, who has been the governor there, who has been, I think they're about three weeks into this, um, was very integral in the um, helping development and set it up. I also had, uh, as I indicated, my chief of staff and my CEO, Public Health, has been involved in the conversations as well. And we were able to stand that up in a relatively short time timeline. In addition to that, as Dr. Badati indicated, we have had all kinds of partnerships that have been taking place with our hospitals and uh, clini clinics and our universities throughout the whole process. And so this is another tool that we will be able to utilize in our fight against COVID-19. And every day we're learning more and more about the disease and uh, how it's spread and, and how we can continue to mitigate uh, the the risk and so uh, and we're going to continue to learn every day just just even from the ways that we can test whether it's uh, serology or whether it's um, the nasal swab or it's the one that's a little bit tougher to experience or if it's a saliva test which is now coming online I mean this is as Dr. Padati said it's a it's a local state and federal and private sector collaboration to really come together and figure out how in a relatively short time frame we can start to uh, you just really understand this disease and figure out how we can not only protect Iowans but protect uh, Americans and really you know hopefully learn to live with it until we have a vaccine and we can start to get things uh, back to normal. All right, that was uh, Governor Kim Reynolds. Back to the NFL draft, back to Miller and Condon. We've, uh, we will get to there momentarily, but right now, KXNO and iHeart want to help you with your bills. Text the keyword CARE to 200, 200 right now. That's CARE to 200, 200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. Uh, Ted Glover, DailyNorseman.com on the Vikings and their two picks. Uh, Nick Athen, the Super Bowl champs, pick 32, primetime sports talk. Coming up when we come back. It's uh, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO 106. Thank you for supporting Food Bank of Iowa. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Hi, right, welcome back, Miller and Condon, 25 minutes before noon. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM, 10 minutes or so. We'll hear from the Super Bowl champs. Well, not 
from them. Nick Athen covers them, primetimesportstalk.com. He's covered the Chiefs for uh, decades. But uh, right now, before we do that, the Vikings, they're going to be busy. Never been announced as Super Bowl champs, by the way, the Minnesota Vikings. No, they haven't. No. Super Bowl runner-ups. Four times. Indeed. It's been a long time. I've never seen it. I'm 40 years old. You've you've never seen them play no, in the Super it was Bowl? A, you haven't. It was 60s and 70s. Wow. Ted Glover has, though. Yeah. He well, was around Ted and I are old. Uh, welcome, Ted Glover. <laughs> Good to talk to you. How are you? Wow, I was doing great until that, that Vikings <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I did get to see him lose like three Super Bowls that I can remember. Ted, it's uh, it's draft day, so two picks in the first round. What's the likelihood that they miss one of those picks and don't get oh it into my, the commissioner? Now, why are you doing that? I'm just rubbing salt in the wound. Uh, every draft pick is 50-50. Even in the first, <laughs> you get past the first three or four guys usually. I mean, and, and even then, there's there's bust even that high. I, you know, Rich Spielman's been pretty good at drafting overall. Yes. I, I think his his draft record historically is pretty good. I, I look for the Vikings uh, to address. Probably corner and and maybe wide receiver in the first round. They've got a bunch mm-hmm. of needs. They they really haven't been able to do a whole lot in free agency because of their salary cap situation. Um, but I, I would argue their their two biggest needs are probably corner and, and wide receiver. I expect him to do a lot of trading. He does that. Do you? I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I I don't. I wouldn't be surprised. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they maybe pick at twenty two and then trade out at twenty five and, and drop down and pick up another couple more picks. But we'll see what happens. It's going to be uh, – I, I think this this year's draft is going to be absolutely nuts. Well, I hope you're right. Everybody's looking forward to it. I think it's going to be terrific television tonight. Uh, there might be some glitches. That'll be a part of it, and that's one of the things we'll remember it for. But I think it's got a chance to be really good television. Well, let's go to the um, – you know, by the way, did you see the uh, – I think it was last weekend on, on Twitter, Randy Moss's Marshall highlights before the Vikings took him. Did you see that, Ted Glover? There was a DB from Old Miss, number 34. <laughs> the poor son of a gun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it was – was like man against boys for Christ. he was so good we forget how good he was he, he was just it's it was just watching Moss's college highlights was just you felt sorry for the guy you do because they had literally no chance yeah no, I'm right. So I was on your Twitter page today. I, I wanted to see the fish again, and the northern's gone. But the uh, the purple people eaters, the purple peters, either a purple Peter. Try to help me out. Purple, purple people, people eaters. eaters yes. are, are are part of your Twitter page. All right, Marshall Eller and Page are the are the easy ones. Why can't I remember the fourth? It was Gary something. Gary Larson. Gary Larson. Gary Larson. I couldn't pull the trigger. Uh, well, let's get to what the Vikings might do, pull the trigger. You so you anticipate that they're open for business as far as trading. Now, if I'm the Vikings and uh, the kid from Utah, the corner is there, because I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, their secondary is gone from last year for the most part, right? Or guys that you know, obviously Harrison Smith is still there. But Xavier Rhodes, who was really good, he's, it wasn't last year. Al- Waynes and Alexander, both gone. I anticipate corner has to be Priority number one, and Jalen Johnson, who is only you know a bottom of the first round, sec- early second day pick. The only reason he's there is because of his injury late last year. I think the kid's a star. Uh, might the Vikings go there with Jalen Johnson from Utah? I think he's he's definitely a candidate. I think uh, Jeff Gladney from TCU is nice, a possibility. good player. Um, AJ Terrell, I think, would be a little bit high in the first round. Um, Christian Fulton, if he's there, I think is, is a definite possibility. If, if a guy, you know, w- with the, with all the uncertainty with 
with the draft this year. It, it wouldn't surprise me if a, if a kid like C.J. Henderson sort of fell wow. a little bit, or maybe even Jeffrey Okuda. Um, it, it, you know, if well, not guys, to the twenties, though, right? No, no, no. I, but if those guys go into the teams and the Vikings really oh. feel they need to get a guy, if if they can move up five ish or six spots, that wouldn't be a whole lot of that wouldn't be a, a, a huge blockbuster trade. It would, it would, you know, swapping draft picks and and maybe a couple mid round picks to to get up. And if that's a guy you really want, and and, and it's a guy that's slipping, and you think you can get him for a a reasonable price that, that wouldn't surprise me either but i i again it just it really depends on on how everything falls but i i those are those are guys gladney if they stay at 22 i think gladney christian fulton um and 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 the kid that you mentioned from johnson uh, from utah yeah johnson i i think are definite candidates if they go corner at that spot yeah you know, as I was looking a little bit deeper at the depth chart, the Vikings are probably the team I know best outside of the Bears because my wife's a Vikings fan. Pretty much all my family is Vikings fans. And I'm looking at this wide receiver room now, minus Stephon Diggs off the team, and of course Thielen after that. Boy, there is a bunch of yuck there. They got a ton of picks here. I mean, the chances of multiple wide receivers plus the depth of this draft, I mean, would you put it at better fifty, better than 50-50 that they take two or more receivers in this draft? Yeah, I think they'll take one mm-hmm. fairly early, um, and then one probably later. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I think a guy they, they really have their their sights set on um, is, is a kid by the name of Tyler Johnson, played for the Gophers. Yeah. yeah, just put up some monster numbers for the Gophers, and he's he's really kind of way down in terms of of where he's ranked among wide receivers. I could see him being a late third, early fourth round pick if the Vikings want if the Vikings want to go get him. Uh, I really like him. I, I don't know why he's consistently rated so low among other wide receivers, other than the fact it's a an exceptionally deep class. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see them. I don't know that they're going to get wide receiver in the first round. They could, uh, but I think they'll if if they don't go wide receiver in the first round, I think they're going to go uh, and and get a guy in the second round for sure. What about Justin Jefferson? Is there a chance he's there in the early twenties from LSU? I guess yeah, there's a chance, I, right? I think so. Yeah, there's there's. A, <laughs> So you're telling me there's a chance? Yeah, there's a chance. I, I, uh, I think so. Um, I would, you know, one guy I, I really kind of like, and and uh, he he sort of is overlooked because he played at Colorado and he had some injuries. Oh, Chenault, Chenault Junior. Yeah. That dude, that dude could just flat out play. Yeah. I mean, if if you're not concerned about his history, his injury history, um, and and you know, he, Colorado just hasn't been very good, so they, they've kind of been off the national radar. But he's a good football player. I I wouldn't be surprised if if the Vikings, if if he hangs around into the second round, I I think he's probably going to go late first, um, thirtieth, thirty, thirty one, thirty two, somewhere around there, early second, which would probably put him out of of range for the Vikes if they don't if they don't take a wide receiver in the in the first round. But yeah, there's there's a ton of talent at wide receiver this year. I think the Vikings will be okay. Fortunately, the the two positions I think they need the most. Cornerback and wide receiver have really solid players up and down the board, so they can. I don't think unless there's a huge run on a position early, I don't. I don't think they need to to reach for a guy. They can. They can let the board sort of play itself out and and get a guy that they want when they want to get him. Talking with Ted Glover, you can find him at the Daily Norseman, Purple Buckeye on Twitter, a Viking fan and an Ohio State fan. So. Chase Young, I brought this up to Ken at the beginning of the program today. It's just been from the get-go. Cincinnati gets the pick, and it's going to be Joe Burrow. 
Chase Young was as good of a defensive player as I've seen in a long time. I mentioned maybe going back to Sue at Nebraska, as good as we've seen on the defensive line. Yet, no buzz for him going number one. I think he is a guy, plug and play. What are the knocks that you see after watching every Ohio State game against Chase Young, if there are any? Um, I, You know, the transition from college to the NFL is, is so tough. So I, I don't I don't know that, that he's just going to come in and dominate. I, I think he's going to be very good. I, I think uh, he, he might have a little bit of problem with guys that match up that are as strong as him. Because he is, in, in, in Ohio State, if you watch, he, he's so fast to the edge, and even if a guy could get their hands on him, he would just, he would just you know, arm swipe and, and be gone and, and, and go after the quarterback. I don't know that he'll be able to do that right away in the NFL, but give him a year in an NFL conditioning program and, and refining his techniques, I, I think he's going to be – every bit as good as he's advertised. Mm. You know, go back to last year. We'll let you go on this, and we'll re- uh, reach out to you next week, and we'll recap it with you. Garrett Bradbury, they took in the late teens. I thought it was a good pick at the time. I, I still think it's going to be. Um, if they could do it again, would they take Bradbury? Yeah, I think so. I think when you're in, it's, it's too early to say, man, we shouldn't have gotten this guy and gotten this other team instead. Um, that was their biggest position in need. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bradbury was the top-rated guy on the board. Probably in, in at, at that position. I, yeah, he struggled as a rookie, but you know, a lot of offensive linemen do. And I, I think he's going to be okay. He really, he really, really struggled a lot early in the season. But if you look at the games later on in the year, and then the playoff game against New Orleans, I, I thought he was playing pretty well. So I, I I'm not concerned with that being a, a, a bad pick. But you know. Time will tell. I think he's going to be okay, though. Uh, DailyNorseman.com. Ted Glover will reach out to you next week. Thank you, Ted. You bet. Take care, guys. Appreciate it. Ted Glover from the DailyNorseman.com. Let's get Nick Athen, PrimetimeSportsTalk.com. They are the Super Bowl champions. They pick 32nd overall. Nick, I hope that the Chiefs don't select Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the running back from LSU. <laughs> I think he's Maurice Jones-Drew. I think he's Darren Sproul. He's that type of running back who's yep. going to have a 10-, 11-year career and is incredibly difficult to get on the ground. He's going to be there, I think, around there. I think that would be a great pick for the Chiefs. Is there any buzz around him? Because I hope there isn't. Yeah, actually, I've seen a couple of mock drafts where he's been up there. Um, you know, the, the sentiment is the same. I mean, I, personally speaking, you know, he would be a great pick. Uh, I would love to have him. Um, I think Andy Reid would love to have him. You get, one thing you have to remember about the Chiefs when they do the draft, they love the SEC guys. You know, they're looking at DeAndre Swift as well. They're the running back from Georgia. Mm-hmm. Who I also think he's going to be a terrific player. Um, I, I don't rule out the opportunity they're going to have to take one of the top running backs, even if they trade out of the 32 pick. And I think that happens if Jordan Love falls, which, you know, depending on who you talk to, um, you know, New England Patriots are really interested in him. Um, could be a good possibility, but if he's sitting there at number 32, um, I don't think it's a team that wants a quarterback, especially the Colts, uh, who might be looking for somebody outside of, uh, you know, what their situation is now, who picks number two in the second round. Um, I think Chiefs could be in the Catford seat there, but um, you know, I think I think adding a running back or a top wide receiver with number thirty two um, is not out of the realm of possibility. Just five selections in this draft. The possibility moving down even a couple of spots. You mentioned that last pick on on tonight's uh, draft. It very well could be some people wanting to jump in front of that thirty three pick that always becomes so big. Mm-hmm. Possibility mm-hmm. here that you expect this front office to to make some moves and add a couple more picks. You know, I think it's entirely possible and likely probable 
Um, the exception could be if Patrick Queen, the linebacker from LSU, um, he slides. They really like him. Um, they're really high on uh, Jeff Gladney, the cornerback from TCU. Um, so it just kind of depends where they think the board's going to fall. I mean, there's going to be a there's going to be a ton of surprises tonight. I mean, I'm not. I would be surprised if if the Bengals are lying to everybody and they trade the number one. No, I'm telling you, I would not. I would not be shocked. Um, uh, I would not be shocked at all. I think. I think the you know the number two pick could be up for negotiation. Oh, there you go. I, I think. I think honestly, uh, listen, I'm a two a guy. Uh, two is Me the too. best quarterback in the draft. Any you. team that passes on him, it's crazy. I mean, they're just stupid. I like Gerald Burrow. But he hasn't been a starter long enough, in my opinion. You know, he has to have an elite offense around him where Tua can make stuff up and go. Well, Tua's had a pretty good um, offense, too, though, don't forget. No, he does. He runs a great offense. But Tua's offense is more catered toward the kind of quarterback that a Patrick Mahomes is like. That's what people are trying to do. They want the next Patrick Mahomes. Yep. Tua's the closest thing. Um, I had a chance to chat with him briefly down at the Super Bowl when I was down there. And I'm telling you, this kid has every intangible you want. And uh, any team that passes on him um, is just crazy. I think ultimately the Dolphins are going to have to move up to number three to get him. Um, unless the team jumps up, like the Chargers, um, mm-hmm. goes to number two. But I, I think Washington really wants Chase Young. Yep. So I, 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 I think I think the first two picks, Chase Young for sure, but I'm not, I'm not sold on Burrow. That's just me. Yeah, I, I'm with you on um... – Look, I, I don't think that Tua is going to get out of the, the top five, but he couldn't. If that's the case, I mean, Tua might be in the AFC West. Uh, Nick, he might be uh, uh, residing in L.A. with the Chargers. I don't want to see that. I'm yeah. guessing you don't either. No, I don't particularly want to see it either. But at the end of the day, you know what? I mean, that's, they spent so much money on defense, and, and they, they've added some offensive linemen. You know, they need a, they need a quarterback in the future. Yeah, I mean, big time. Taylor's not the guy. Right. Um, you know, it's not going to happen. And, you know, if Tua falls, I, I, I think the Dolphins, I think Chargers are going to have to trade up. Because, um, again, I think there's going to be a shocker at the top of the first round or near the top of the first round that's going to have everybody – that's just going to change the entire dynamic of the first round. Um, with all the craziness going on in the world, the way the draft is being conducted, um, I, I think there's going to be some surprises. But he could be in the AFC West. You know, I, I wouldn't rule out the Raiders jumping up. Yeah. You know, they got two picks. Well, their first-round picks for yeah. Tua. I mean, again, anybody that passes on it after the first, with the first pick and beyond, you know, it's crazy. If the Chiefs, if this was the Chiefs' year, they needed a quarterback. I guarantee you, Brett Beach would do everything in his power to move up and take Tua because I think they graded him pretty similar to Mahomes, and the injury doesn't bother me. Um, but you know, at least I know he's not going to Denver, so I think it's pretty safe. <laughs> no, but they don't need him. They got your locker. Keep reminding you that. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> um, uh, Nick Gathin, dot com is our guest. I, I'm with you on Tua. I just think Belichick's sitting in the weeds. He's he's going to do something. Yeah. I hear Jordan Love comparisons to Mahomes. I'm not sure I can go there. And I like Love. He no. was better as a junior than he was as a, uh, as he was better two years ago than he was last year. Um, but he had better players a couple of years ago. I, I just don't see that. Uh, Nick, it's going to be fascinating. Do the Chiefs have, tw- is it true, 20 of 22 starters return? Technically 21 if they count Mankin, who was the, they got him from the uh, Texans in that trade. Um, you know, for the running back, his name escaped me. But yeah, 20 of 22 starters um, are going to be back. Um, now I think a couple of those starters could be cashless. I actually thought um, 
Duvernay Tardif would be one, but he just restructured yep. his contract. So he's definitely going to be back. So, yeah, I mean, if you look at it, I mean, this was, you know, I was talking to a buddy of mine this morning. This is a luxury draft, you know, for the Chiefs. They mm-hmm. could go any direction. They could trade. I mean, I would be surprised if they trade out the first round, got a high number two, and traded out of that. And they picked up, you know, picks because there are some. This is the deepest offensive line wide receiver and running back draft I've ever seen. And I'm like old school, long time ago. There are guys in the middle of the second round, third round, even in the fourth round that the Chiefs could pick up and plug in starters, maybe not this year, but next year. So, you know, there's going to be there's, there's a lot of talent available. And I, I, I'm not going to be shocked if the Chiefs make multiple moves. Again, they need cheap money on the book. Um, they it's need true. Cheap money on the books because they are going to be more aggressive, I think, in the round two free agency, you know, post draft, June one cuts, things like that. There'll be a lot of veterans cut and traded or potentially traded here in the next week or two. Um, that I think the Chiefs are key on. One guy to keep an eye on is Clowney. I think there's mm. a shocker move for a four or five million dollar deal and a one year previous deal in Kansas City. I, I, I they were so high on him a year ago. Do you think he'll play for that though? Would he play for that much? For that, I mean, that's that's not very much money for his talent. I don't think he has a choice. No one's no one's offering him any money. That thirteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen million dollar offers—they're not there. Mm. He's going to have to find a one-year proven deal, show that he's healthy um, as a contributor to that defense. You know, if they don't bring Suggs back, which I'm hearing he wants to come back. Um, if they got an option for, uh, opportunity for Clowney, see what he can do. Um, you know, Chris Jones is getting his money, so it's not like he's a long-term deal. But if they pay Breland five and a half million dollars for one year, I don't see why they wouldn't pay Clowney five and a half million. I can't see why he wouldn't want to go to a Super Bowl team. Yeah, uh, because the teams that are looking at him are not Super Bowl quality. That's that's um, true. The Browns aren't going. The Browns aren't going anywhere. Uh, that's not going to happen this year. Maybe next year they'll be they'll be a playoff team. Um, the Dolphins aren't going anywhere. Uh, they've got way too much rebuild, um, especially if they're not settled at quarterback even you know through this evening. That, that, that's going to be problematic for them. Nick Athen, primetimesportstalk.com. Nick, we'll recap it with you next week. Thank you. All right, sounds good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to talk to you, my friend. Nick Athen, uh, who uh, helps us out with the Kansas City Chiefs. Clowney's not signing for $5 million. No. No way. He's worth way more than that. Well, he might be worth a lot more than that. Yeah, five million for come on. This guy's one. not buying it. <laughs> not buying it. Either. That's all the Chiefs need is him. Right? Come on. I, I think you're more nervous about that. Than well, that's true. Does. That's true. <laughs> oh, it's going to be fun tonight, Trent Condon. Now yes, your Bears it is. get to play tomorrow. Mm-hmm. We'll have Jeff Hughes. Um, our buddy Manasseria going to join us. Hopefully, uh, we'll get Tom Caker. Boy, the uh, the Hawks make a move. The Clones getting guys in. Yes. They've got a couple. Hawks are getting a couple of dudes. So we'll have the uh, two local needle movers on tomorrow. Alex Halstead on the Cyclones and Tom Caker on the Hawks. Uh, Murph and Ed, you're coming up at two. The Fanatics will be in at four, and then Friday at six a.m. Local programming starts with the morning rush. We're Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, fourteen sixty KXNO, one hundred six point three.